0: This is play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told,
1: a play-by-play guy. It's a
0: bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for
1: him. Now here's the host of Play-By-Play Cast, Todd Bodette. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godette. Joe Godette. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. There is a week two. That's a good start. We made it from week one to week two. iTunes hasn't kicked us off. Stitcher still carries us. Podbean is still taking our money. Uh, All is well in Play by Playcast world. Welcome back in, everybody. My name is Joel Godet. Thank you for clicking subscribe or download and joining us over the next half hour or so. If you missed our first edition of Play-By-Play cast, or if you're really bored and you even missed our About Me section, episode zero, uh, all of that stuff is archived on our feed. If you subscribe, download all those things, you can find what right now is a fairly short archive, but hopefully in a few weeks is a fairly in-depth archive of all of the previous edition's of Play-By-Play cast. Last week, Carter Blackburn from CBS Sports joined us with some really good insight about both Play-By-Play and also how to get Bill Raftery to leave the greeting on your voicemail if you still have a landline. I guess he would do cell phones too, but that wasn't the story. Uh, You can find all of those uh, stories in the archive section here on Play-By-Play cast. Quick reminder before we jump into things for today's edition as well. We touched on this last week. We would love interaction to be a part of this podcast as much as possible so if you've got questions comments concerns things you want addressed questions you want asked guests you would like to see on the show if you'd like to be on the show (laughs) we can be open to that um hit us up on twitter my handle is at joel godet j-o-e-l-g-o-d-e-t-t or you can use the hashtag pxpcast to get in touch with the program all right, on to our guest for this week's podcast, and a quick disclaimer from the get-go. I went to Syracuse. Last week's guest, Carter Blackburn, went to Syracuse, and uh, Adam Amin called us out on Twitter, uh, but he, <laughs> he said something to the effect of, like, hey, it's a big advertisement for Syracuse. Um, we only talked about it a little bit, but the hilarious part is that the guest this week on the podcast also went to Syracuse uh andy Demetra, who is the voice of the gamecocks basketball and baseball teams down at the university of south carolina is a 2002 graduate of syracuse university we'll go mix it up from here on out just an aside by the way it just so happens we got two su guys off the top but uh ad's got a great backstory uh, graduated from college wanted to get into tv wound up getting into radio initially at usc wound up in winston-salem north carolina at then isp now img their national headquarters Wound up doing the Big East game of the week, the ACC game of the week, and then wound up back at South Carolina for the men's basketball and baseball job when he took over in 2009. So Andy's got kind of a cool path, and uh stoked to talk to him, and Andy, glad you can join us here uh, here on Play by
0: Playcast, man. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Joe. I appreciate it.
1: I, I want to talk, first off, kind of get the, the idea of how you've gotten to to where you've gotten to, because I think... Especially in this business, there's no right way or wrong way or a way to get where you get. Uh, so what's kind of the, the way that Andy Demetra found his way to South Carolina?
0: I found my way to South Carolina by getting rejected from every television and sports anchor job that I applied to out of college. Um, that is the short story. The long story is, um, you know, when I graduated, I think I, I still had ambitions of wanting to be the next sports center anchor. But I was either oblivious to or ignorant of the fact that when I graduated, um, and this would come as no surprise to anybody who does a Google limit search of me, I looked approximately 15 years old when I graduated (laughs) from college. Um, And if I'm being honest with myself, in hindsight, I was a lot more wooden and uncharismatic and just unsure of myself in front of the camera than I thought I was at the time, but nonetheless sent my my tape out to every TV station in a medium and small size market that had openings for sports anchors and sports reporters and sports photographers, because back then in, in the pre-digital age, that was the, the way you had to, to break into television, was by cutting your teeth at a small market station, and so that first summer after I graduated, I probably sent out my demo tape to at least 70 to 75 stations before I stopped counting um, and didn't get a single call back.
1: You actually had to buy and, tapes uh, it, too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And we're talking, you have to like record the tapes in the VHS. And it was just a tedious process because you couldn't do it in a flash. You had to, if, if your, your television demo tape lasted seven minutes it took you seven minutes <laughs> to record that. So a very, very time-intensive process with zero payoff for me that summer. Um, so about midway through that summer, as I was swinging and missing and swinging and missing, I thought, well, I might want to make my radio demo just in case. And in all honesty, the majority of my media work in college was through our campus radio station and doing play-by-play. I enjoyed doing play-by-play, and I thought I had some modicum of talent in it. But I never thought of radio play-by-play as really a viable way to make a living because the full-time opportunities are so scarce uh, in that side of the field. But when you're batting over for 70, whatever, you don't have much of a choice. So I started making my radio demo and sending it out to places that had openings and places that didn't, and I go from getting zero callbacks and – six-plus months on the television side and all of a sudden getting two uh, offers in 24 hours on the radio side Uh, neither happened overnight but it just so happened that i get a call one day and an offer the next um... one was from a division two school in detroit michigan to do their football and men's basketball play-by-play and the other call that i got was from south carolina to do their women's basketball uh... and one of the people whom i would sent my cd to and i am dating myself by calling it a cd but Uh, One of the people to whom I'd sent my demo that summer, just for a critique, was uh, one of your other guests on the podcast, Carter Blackburn. Uh, And he thought it had some potential, so he slid it onto the desk of the VP of the audio division of what was then ISP Sports and is now IMG College. And he listened to it, and he thought that for a young broadcaster, it had some potential. And later that summer, what job should come open but the women's basketball gig at South Carolina, which uh, at the time had its multimedia rights jointly held by... ISP and Learfield Communications. So when uh, my current boss, the general manager at the time, uh, contacted the VP uh, of the audio division and asked, do you have any young broadcasters that you think might be a good fit for this position? He passed my name along, and and one thing led to another. And that's how I initially got down to South Carolina, was calling women's basketball for three years.
1: Did you want to do play-by-play and just didn't see it as a viable kind of option? Or was it that you wanted to do television, but you were in the, the same club I'm a member of and that we all look 15. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know what? I think I was so demoralized by getting rejected by every television station that I'd applied to um, that the moment somebody took a chance on me and believed in me, I wasn't going back. I wasn't looking back at, at, at anything in the television side um, I just said, you know what, if this person believes in my ability in radio play-by-play, I'm going to pour everything I have into that discipline and see where it leads me. And having the opportunity to call a full season of women's basketball, it was a lot of fun. And I noticed how much better I was getting from game to game. Um, and just the whole process of trying to better yourself from one broadcast to the next, you start to become invested in it. Uh, and you want to seize that next opportunity to get better. Um, And so I think as that first season rolled on, I realized I really enjoy this. I love the process of of finding ways to improve, and I want to see where this leads me. So I think uh, it was partly that and partly just saying, you know what, forget about television. Uh, If you guys don't want me, I don't want you either. Radio does, and that's where I'm going to go.
1: You go to ISP, their actual studios, after what, you were there for
0: three years, three or four years? The first time through? Yeah, I was here for three years calling women's basketball. Uh, my first two years, they went and combined, let me see if my math is right, three and 24 in the SEC. So I called, I became very <laughs> skilled at trying to call losses as tactfully and artistically as possible. I'll put it that way.
1: Why made you, what made you make that, that jump to kind of the network office? And uh, tell me about those opportunities
0: and, and how that advanced you. Yeah. Um, well, I was still an independent contractor down at South Carolina, so I was paid per game, and when the season ended, so did my paychecks. Um, I didn't have a full-time position um, with ISP or with um, the athletic department, and so from you know middle of March to the middle of November, I was on my own, and it got a little tedious to have to fill out a half a dozen W2s every year, Uh, when it came for tax time. And so I'd cobbled together a number of of part-time jobs just to make ends meet. But ISP called me uh, that summer after my third season there and offered me a full-time position with a salary, with benefits. i had just gotten married a couple of months before, and so that was certainly enticing to have uh, a full-time occupation there. Um, And I thought even though I was taking a risk by stepping away from straight play-by-play and trading that in for something that was far more on the production side of the radio business, where my play-by-play opportunities during the year would be sparse and of the fill-in variety, that maybe by taking a step backwards, um, it set me myself up so that I could eventually take two or three, three steps forward. So that was kind of my thought process of stepping away from South Carolina and then moving to ISP and Winston-Salem but my wife and I both said uh, if there was ever an opportunity to come back to Columbia, we'd jump at it because we both really loved being here, living here, um, and being part of the town. And, and I was very grateful that an opportunity would open up three years later uh, with the men's basketball, baseball job in South Carolina, and, and here I am.
1: What was it like uh, getting those opportunities when you go take the ISP job as far as, I mean, how do you covet those? Uh, I mean, do you, uh, how do you do it from the standpoint of not over preparing like oh my god here's the one opportunity I've got to get better this time and how do you approach the the limited opportunities to do play by play when you when you've got that
0: job under your feet it was hard because um, you know you are always broadcasting your best when you're relaxed i think you know that too yeah but you also realize that you might not have a whole lot of opportunities <laughs> over the course of a season and You're always thinking of these games that you're calling in terms of your next resume reel. Uh, Is this going to be the game that has the play-by-stretch, play-by-play stretch stretch that allow me to get this job or that job? Which is dangerous. Exactly. And it's inevitable that you're going to put some pressure on yourself and try to throw the kitchen sink at a broadcast. Um, You not only want to give a good representation of yourself, but you're also thinking, is this the the, the freelance gig that's going to... Parlay it into is going to allow me to parlay it into some full time job down the road is the voice of another school. Um, You just have to be confident in what you're doing. Um, Just stay faithful to your habits when you prepare. uh, From you know when you're putting your charts together to when you get to that arena, it is difficult because you're an interloper. Um, You're going there as the fill in voice of another school, so you want to sound like you belong. And, like, you know what you're talking about uh, for this school that, you know, you really don't have any connection to. And you want to serve their interests well, their radio network, their coaches, um, their athletic department. So it's it's a difficult tightrope. And I think, you know, I maybe struggled with it early on, uh, but I think you just have to sort of stay true to yourself and – try to just uh, be locked in and, and do the things that had gotten you there and not try to overdo anything. Because once you start to overdo anything, like a, a hitter in baseball, when you start to overthink things and press, that's when you're not going to be like yourself. So it was a balancing act for sure. And, you know, in hindsight, did I handle it the best way I could? Who knows? Um, but at the end of the day, you just have to be uh, kind of faithful to who you are and, and do, the, do the job the best you can. What was the best – or worst uh, of
1: those part-time jobs to make ends meet the first time through in South Carolina?
0: I wouldn't say it was the worst um, because they treated me really well. But um, one of my jobs in the summer was I worked at a heating and air conditioning company uh, through a temp agency, dispatching technicians from 10 to 7 p.m. So you can imagine business is booming in Columbia, South Carolina in the (laughs) summer with a heating and air conditioning company. Um, and, And so, it was a little humbling from that standpoint, because here I am. I'm trying to be a professional broadcaster. It was the same summer that I won my first South Carolina Broadcasters Association Sportscaster the Year award. So I was in, I think, Hilton Head on a Saturday night accepting my award. And at Monday at 10 a.m., I was back in the office taking a customer service call because their unit was low on Freon, you know, in my <laughs> golden radio pipes. Um, but what I also was very proud of that summer was – I was named our Temp Agency's Temp Employee of the Month for July. And so I think it was a nice little nod that, okay, this might not be what I want to do. Yeah, I got two degrees, and here I am just dispatching tech at an HVAC company. But I take my job seriously. I try to put in a good day's work, and it was kind of cool to see that rewarded. Um, so that was one of the jobs that I had. I was also a part-time news producer at the NBC affiliate here in town. Um, you know, when you're a producer, as most people in the TV business know, 90% of the scripts that are read on the air aren't written by the anchors, they're written by the producers. And so it's kind of fun sometimes to throw in a big word to a, an anchor that you know wouldn't be proofreading ahead of time, and to see him or her stumble on the air. Um, my main that was fun? Was working to not- oh yeah, in fact, I, uh, <laughs> one morning was the royal wedding between Prince Charles and Camilla Parker. Um, and NBC was offering a live shot inside the cathedral. And I was running behind on script, so I told the anchor, and I won't give her name, hey, listen, um, I'm in the weeds on these scripts. Can you just do some research on the royal wedding and ad-lib for me about 30 seconds when we get on the air? And so we come out of break, we take the live shot inside the cathedral, and she goes, and hey, the wedding bells are ringing out in London for the royal wedding between Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles. And at that point in the production room, I nearly had a bowls movement. <laughs> so I'm like in her IFB. I'm just saying, it's it's bowls, it's bowls. And almost like a Pavlovian reflex, she's midway through the next sentence, and she just randomly burts, blurts out bowls, and keeps on going with her previous thought. Oh no! So yeah, that was one of those uh, little anecdotes that I'll always remember from my my salad days, freelancing and cobbling together. Uh, Side gigs to make ends meet between broadcast seasons. I, mean, I look on. I look back on that <laughs> uh, on that time fondly, though.
1: At least it wasn't on BBC, so you're fine.
0: <laughs> uh, so, not that I know of. Yeah. How long have you sounded like this? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> it's funny because wh- when I first came back to South Carolina in 2009, um, if I were to listen back to my calls from that season, basketball and baseball. I would probably cringe and curl into a fetal position in a corner because I would sound so young and so nasally and just not sounding like myself. So I don't know. Um, If you were to ask me, probably the last two or three years, uh, maybe I've been sounding this way the whole time, and my ears just are tuned a different way. But um, I I don't know. I guess I've just had, had a voice that might cut through the dial a little bit. Who knows?
1: What do you do? I mean, do you consciously do anything? Or, I mean, how have you kind of developed vocally over the years to to make the sound
0: that you want? See, I always scoff when people say, you have a radio voice. Um, Because that, that presumes that you have an affectation when you're speaking on the air. And I tell people, I don't have a radio voice. But what I do do, and I think most broadcasters would do the same, is they project when they're on the air because they know they're in front of a microphone they know they want to present a clear strong voiced delivery of the game so I just think it's it's you know projecting well and having uh, a confident voice one that has conviction in what you say when you're on the air Um, and just sort of having the the, the self-assuredness I think a lot of young broadcasters and I might have been guilty of this as well they get wrapped up and try to sound like what they think a broadcaster should sound like or what they think their fan base expects a broadcaster to sound like, and they wind up not sounding like themselves. Um, it sounds contrived. It sounds uh, just uh, uh, unnatural. Um, and I probably got wrapped up in that when I first came to South Carolina. But the more that you're on the air, the more that you develop your sense of, of self on the air, the more that you relax, the more that you start to sound more like yourself. And I think the more that your voice would naturally deepen and find that nice resonance because it's natural. It's coming from a place where you're confident in what you're saying and how you're saying it.
1: I read an article that said you never run without warming up and that you do the. it's the same with broadcasting. Do you warm up for broadcasting?
0: I, I do in this sense because um, yeah, you're right. Anybody who would see me in public, um, and I've had many a double take when I introduced myself as voice of the game Times <laughs> I'm about 5'8". A buck forty five dripping wet, and that's what happens when you run forty miles a week. Um, but, yeah, like I said, eh, when I ran cross country and track in high school, I wouldn't fathom running a race without warming up first. And I'd kind of treat broadcasting the same way because you're trying to describe something as accurately and artfully as possible in real time with no second takes, no delete button. And so I want to work up a mental sweat before I go on the air. You want to be as agile as possible in your ability to paint the pictures. And so ever since I started broadcasting professionally, I have kept a catalog of every play-by-play term for basketball that I have used, that I have heard, that I have liked, that I have wanted to use. And about 20 or 30 minutes before I sign on for a pregame show, I sit down, get into kind of a meditative trance, and I just kind of review those words. Um, And if there's a particular uh, phrase uh, that that maybe I haven't used in a while or that I think would correspond well to a particular player on the floor that night, I'll jot it down on my chart. If listening back to my previous game, I noticed that I'd overused a particular description, I'll go to that category and find maybe some alternatives that I can weave into my broadcast for this one. Um, And, you know, if, if having that deeper reservoir of words, if it can, cut down on the reaction time between what I see and how I say it. Um, if it can allow me to pull deeper into those well of words that I have in describing a picture for basketball, uh, I, I think it's it's preparation well worth having. Um, I don't want to go into something cold. Um, I want to kind of build up that mental sweat before I go on the air so that I can feel like I'm locked in, feel like I'm, I'm agile in covering the action.
1: How do you put that book together? Uh, I mean, is it Do you conscientiously sit down and say, I'm going to think of some words or let me think of things I've heard? Or, I mean, is it something that you've got handy where if you're sitting there reading a book, gosh, I like that word. Let me go write it down.
0: Uh, You know what? It comes from all different sources of inspiration. I I remember I first started doing it uh, actually on my drive from where I grew up in Illinois, driving down to Columbia, South Carolina for the first time. Uh, once I'd gotten the women's basketball job, and I was driving through the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee late at night, and I'd scratch out a signal from WLW in Cincinnati of a Xavier basketball game, and I'm listening to this broadcaster, and, and I hear some of the ways he describes things, and I, uh, you know, my ear kind of perks, and I go, oh, that's kind of a, a neat way to describe that, and I grab a, a loose sheet of paper and, and scribble down the word, and you know, as I'm continuing to listen through the mountains, and you know, start jotting down more and more words. It was really foggy and I'm driving through these switchbacks in the mountains, so I wouldn't recommend many people <laughs> doing this, but over that first year, um as I was trying to keep my ears open and listen to as many different broadcasts as possible um I'd continue to to write down uh, chicken scratch some different terms and By the end of that first year, I thought, well, gosh, I got so many of these pieces of chicken scratch. I might as well put this in some kind of order, uh, and so I have it all categorized by the type of action it is. Um, whether it's a post-entry, a dribble, a pass, because we know when we're calling basketball, not everything is a dribble. You know, well, How are you dribbling? Not everything is just a pass. How are you passing the ball? Not everybody just goes and gets a rebound. How does somebody grab that rebound? Um, because I want to create as vivid a picture as possible for my listening audience. And so over the course of time, you just continue to curate this list of terms that you use. And a lot of the inspiration does come in the offseason. I might be reading a book. Um, and I come across a word and, you know, for some reason, inspiration strikes and I go, oh, that'd be a cool way to describe this on the basketball floor. Or I'm um, out running uh, before a broadcast and, you know, I, I might just for whatever reason be thinking about something that happened in a previous game and, you know, a particular term comes to mind that might be a cool way to describe it. I might be writing a story for um, the, the alumni magazine, the the Gamecock Booster Club magazine that I do a column for. And as I'm sort of sitting down thinking about how a certain player works, you know, I might come upon a, a phrase or a term that might really correspond. And I could use that in my next broadcast. So it comes in all different forms. Um, and, and even as I feel like I've reached the limit of words that I could use to describe actions on a basketball floor, it amazes me, Joel. Every year, I'll think of like a dozen or two dozen different Words to add to the list. What's your favorite? Could be for anything. Uh, my favorite, you know what? The word that I love using for a rebound is somebody levitates for the rebound. Because you have these graceful basketball players who look like they're suspended in midair when they're jumping up and snatching a rebound. And when somebody rises above the pack and grabs a rebound, it kind of always looks like they're levitating in midair. And so I was always proud of thinking of the one levitates for the rebound.
1: I like that one. I might steal that. You're welcome to use it. A, yeah, I that's what I was going to say. I expect
0: the to be using it uh, as well.
1: <laughs> that way, it's right up there. My other favorite is, uh, I heard Doc Emmerich, the, the HBO Real Sports thing with Doc Emmerich, Uh he talked mm-hmm. about ladling passes. And I, <laughs> like, fell off the floor, both because I'm Jewish and I, I ladle matzo balls all the time, so it was fitting. But it, it, I was like, I've never thought of it that way. And when, I, it, it's amazing. I uh, Is there... Is there an actual book? I mean, like, how many iterations of the book are there? Is it, is it uh, like, handwritten? Is it a computer thing? How do you, how do you keep it?
0: I have it in, like, six-point font on a Word document. I have it in front of me right now. And it is about six pages long. I would estimate there are probably, I 1,500 or so words, maybe. Yeah, uh, 1,500 or so. That's incredible. Yeah. And I don't use all of them throughout the year. I try to. Um, I like mixing things up and, you know, just trying to to come up with a description that maybe somebody hasn't heard before. Um, And so, yeah, that's just something that I try to glance at before every broadcast and kind of build up that mental sweat before I go on the air.
1: What do you read? Now I just, I feel like Katie Couric now. Um, (laughs) What, well, I mean, but from a broadcast standpoint, uh, people always talk about prep and different ways to prep and different ways to kind of educate yourself, be it finding words or whatnot. I mean, I, do you read like fiction? Do you read newspapers? What what kind of stuff do you read that you feels help you, uh, or that you feel helps you as a broadcaster?
0: I read uh, as much as I can. I like to read magazine stories online. I like to not just sports stories. I like to read stories in a Vanity Fair and Esquire because that style of writing is different than what you would encounter when you're reading sports stories. And I think when you expose yourself to different genres, you might find words, expressions that you feel could relate to the sport that you're calling. Same way that I enjoy, like you, listening to Doc Emmer call hockey. I'm not a hockey fan, but I love the variety and diversity of his descriptions. And it just makes you think about your own sport, your own broadcast, in a different way. Listening to Ian Dar call soccer for ESPN is the same way. Just the, the different turns of phrase that he has that, at first blush, you might think has no association or no correlation to a basketball or a baseball game. But it's just a neat way to, to phrase something, and you think, well, maybe there's a way that I can incorporate that into my own broadcast. Um, so certainly, I, I try to be as well-read as possible. Um, I never want to have my uh, my broadcast be so narrowly focused in the sports realm. I like to be able to, to pull different uh, comparisons to other things going on in the world or in history, because I think it just makes for a richer broadcast.
1: I know you're a numbers guy, too. Uh, how does... How do you find that kind of stuff from the standpoint of being unique, um, going deeper than a box score? I mean, how do you sit there with stats, and do you kind of look for different ways to interpret things to, to
0: make it more interesting? I think part of it is in my genes, because I'm the only person in my family who didn't major in math in college. <laughs> okay. Uh, my mom was a math teacher. My dad worked in numbers his whole life. My brother was a math and economics major. He's a year older than me. He's a stock analyst for a private capital firm in Nashville. He's the kind of guy who makes algorithms up for fun. I have none of that natural math aptitude. But I think I do have a fascination with numbers as they relate to my job. And I think stats, they help give context and insight into a broadcast. Um, And so that's why I think they have immense value for the narrative and the story that we're building for our audience. Um, I think a lot of it is just... It comes down to having that curiosity and inquisitiveness to try to pick up patterns, to try to make connections, um, and to try to parse out the box scores and the stat sheets in such a way where you can find where a strength of your team might match up against a strength or a weakness of the other team. Um, I'm very evangelical about advanced stats in basketball. I've subscribed to Ken Pomeroy's website for at least seven years. um, And I love finding those kinds of statistics that can illuminate the matchup in a different way. Um, And all those statistics that I give, either on my broadcast or on Twitter, um, they're there for anybody to find. Um, There's no secret formula for finding them. You just have to have the curiosity to look for them to kind of make the connection between two numbers that might seem like they're distantly related and just let yourself go down that wormhole and see what you can find. And, and it's really gratifying when you can uh, come up with a statistic as you prepare for a game and then be able to pay it off during the game and tip your listener off to something that might happen because of these numbers you pulled up and dug up. And it turns out to be true. Um, that part of the job is really gratifying. And that's what kind of feeds that thrill of the, the thrill of the chase.
1: Here's the secret. I don't know if you want to give the, the, this part away, but how do you take all of that, especially we're talking about Ken Palm and I, I guess more particularly with baseball too and in, in kind of advanced analytics. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you make that digestible for the listener so that you can say it in 10 to 15 seconds and get it across and not lose people?
0: I think you have to pick your spots um, because you're right. There are some statistics that require a bit of an explanation, Um, you don't just want to assume that your audience knows exactly what an acronym stands for. Um, And so you have to take the time to educate your audience. Um, And so if I, you know, give a statistic about South Carolina's offensive rebounding percentage, I want to make sure that I have enough time in the midst of my broadcast, wherever that is, to be able to follow up and say, that's the percentage of a team's missed shots on which they grab an offensive rebound. To put into better perspective, that South Carolina has been grabbing an offensive rebound on 52% of its missed shots in this game. Um, so I think they're good, but only if you are able to ed- explain and educate to your listeners what they mean, because they may not always be familiar with them. So you have to be a little choosy, and you have to make sure that you have the time within your broadcast to be able to follow up and tie a bow on those statistics so that your, your audience can follow along with them
1: feel like I've got like the, the litany of prep questions here for you, but um, I got uh, language numbers. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is um, going to shoot around. And I know, you know, I, I do it all the time. I, I go to football practice all the time. Uh, what do you look for when you go? Um, I mean, for me, sometimes it's I'm looking mostly at what gets said, they might drop something about what they're looking to do that night. What are you watching for? What are you trying to to see strategy wise? What stands out to you when you're there?
0: Yeah, and every team shootaround is different. Some teams just go through the motions. They break a sweat. They don't really get into their game plan a whole lot and run through dummy sets. Um, with Frank Martin and the South Carolina shootaround, um, they do do some uh, they do some run-throughs of different offensive plays they're going to run that night different defensive structures, and that's what I like to pay attention to. What are they trying to take away from an opposing team's offense? Are they going to try to prevent this guy from driving to his left? And if a guy gets a blow-by with his left hand, and then we can say on the broadcast, well, that was something they had drilled into their team at Shooter on this morning not to let happen. Um, baseline out-of-bounds are another thing. The blobs and slobs, baseline out-of-bounds, <laughs> sideline out-of-bounds, that's something that South Carolina spends at least the last 15, 20 minutes of a Shooter on going through. And those become very important. If it's a two- or a three-point game and it's late and the team is trying to get a basket off an inbound quick, those are the kinds of things that really uh, you can help bring back around in your broadcast. Um, so I'm mainly looking for how they're trying to play certain individuals, particularly the leading scores, where on the floor are they normally trying to catch it, how they're trying to take it away. Um, and if you can bring that insight into a broadcast um, it really raises the IQ of your audience, and it shows that you are invested in the team and what you're talking about, and it just allows your audience to trust you a lot more when you do say something.
1: When you listen back to yourself, what makes you most happy and what
0: angers you most? I don't know if anything makes me really happy, because um, I'll tell you what, I- I've had the same mindset uh, now that I've had since I started broadcasting. I just want to make my next broadcast a little bit better than my last How do I go about doing that? And so I will be my own most savage self-critic. I'll listen back to a broadcast of mine. And I appreciate when fans enjoy it. They say they love listening to us, and they might not feel like there was anything wrong with it. But I could listen back to any broadcast I do and nitpick about a dozen different things that I wished I had done better, whether it's getting hung up on a certain action on the floor or whether it was overusing a particular phrase, whether it was not involving my analyst or listening to him enough, whether it was not having the right pace and flow in my play-by-play, there's always a half a dozen different things that I want to do better the next time. And I feel like if I just have that same mentality going forward, it always keeps me focused on the next broadcast and it lets me avoid being complacent and just not you know, and taking a game off um, so, I, you know, I, I guess maybe I take satisfaction, not so much during the season, but at the end of the season, in the middle of the summer, when I'm cracking open those broadcasts again, and I'm able to haven't turn my ears off to it for a few months, listen back to it, and feel like, you know, I did a job, it was a job well done. Um, but listening back to my broadcast. I'm, I'm trying to be as pick, particular as possible um, so that I can focus on how to better it for the next time. And I will I will spare no critique uh, when it comes to listening back to my play-by-play. I'm not somebody who's going to pat myself on the back, you know, just listening back for, for vainglorious reasons. I want to know what I can do to get better, and that kind of keeps me accountable to myself, which I like.
1: Take me back even to the beginning. You mentioned when we started this, listening early, trying to get better every single day when you got that first your first job in South Carolina. Um, mm. If it's then or if it's now, uh, what are the things that helped you most or that, you fixed most, or that you think you got better at most, uh, kind of on a on a regular basis uh, a, as you have progressed through your career.
0: I think it was just knowing who I was. Um, I, again, I, I think I fell into the trap early on of trying too badly to sound like I, I belonged as a broadcaster when you know you're going to be on that XM dial and people are toggling back and forth through different college sports broadcasts, you want to sound like you, you belong, like you're a peer of those other people. Um, and so I think sometimes it seduces you into sounding different than what you really are, into putting on effects. Uh, and and I, I got caught up in that, I think, early on in my career. The more that I trusted myself, the more that I was confident on air in who I was and the type of broadcast I had, and that just came with more reps and doing it more, believing in myself more, having more confidence in my call. Um, I think that's just help, that's what helped me improve. Um, you know, I, I've tried to keep to the same habits every game, uh, no matter the season, no matter the year. Um, but it's just having the confidence. Um, you know, it, it's very easy to, to get wrapped up in your own head and to lose self esteem if you don't like the way you're sounding. But you just have to, to sort of stay positive about it and, and stick to yourself, be you. Um, I didn't do that well enough at the beginning of my career, and I probably wasted too many games early in my career not being myself enough. Um, That's something that I impart to a lot of young broadcasters. Be yourself. Find yourself. uh, Be confident in who you are, and then you're going to improve drastically. I learned that maybe a little later than I should, but once that did lock in with me, um, my broadcast really started to take off, and, and from that point forward, yeah, I feel I feel pretty confident from game to game about what I can deliver for my audience.
1: The question to which there is no good answer, I guess. I get it all the time. I don't know what to say. Uh what's harder, basketball or baseball?
0: Good question. Um you know, I like basketball because it's an action sport. I think it tests how nimble you are um in your ability to vividly paint a picture uh in a, a sport that can be very rapid fire. Um, I, I, I think baseball is sort of a different discipline because there's only about 18 minutes of action in a two-and-a-half-hour game, and how can you hold an audience's attention through all those lulls? And I really like the storytelling aspect of baseball. You can delve and develop stories much better in baseball than you ever can in a sport like basketball. Um, And you can develop that banter with your your analysts a lot better in baseball than you can with basketball because the breaks are too quick and the action is too fast. Um, But I I do like the agility that it requires you to have when you're calling basketball. And, you know, uh, I feel like that's something that I've done a good job honing over the course of my career. Um, and so that's that's always part of the fun as well, is being in the belly of it right at courtside, as you know, uh, in this really incredibly athletic and graceful sport, um, trying to paint the pictures and, and uh, give life to a very athletic, acrobatic sport. So, you know, I, I, maybe because I played more basketball than baseball growing up, Joel, I, I tend to answer with basketball, but... You know, baseball's a lot of fun, and, of course, calling South Carolina baseball, it's always more fun when you win, and the more you win, the better you always mysteriously sound it to your audience. Um, And so I can't complain at all about the opportunities I've had in baseball and some of the other uh, challenges that it has.
1: Do you try to uh, nudge yourself back on the broadcast now that Don Staley's in town for women's basketball, too, on that note?
0: (laughs) Nope. You know what? I I had to go through five win seasons. Like. (laughs) You know what? But I enjoy being a fan of women's basketball. Now I enjoy no. just watching their games um, as a spectator, feeling all the same emotions that another Gamecock fan would feel. And my daughter is getting close to five years old, and you know, hopefully, I can nudge her into the, the same enjoyment of sports that I've had. And I feel like we're going to go to a lot of women's basketball games nowadays. And maybe can share that with her. So, uh, no, I, I'd rather be uh, maybe in the stands watching Don Staley's team with my daughter than, uh, than maybe back calling And Besides, our guy Brad Muller is uh, an unbelievable broadcaster, and uh, I enjoy listening to him just as much as I enjoy watching those games.
1: Well, Andy, uh, I appreciate you uh, taking the time and doing this with us and uh, letting us into your world a little bit. Uh, I guess tell people where they can find you, um, on the dial or on, on social media or, or wherever you're at.
0: Uh, On a radio station near you, Um, I I guess all of our broadcasts are on the TuneIn app, so make sure you download that. Uh, If you're outside of our listening area in Columbia, South Carolina, and I imagine most people listening to this podcast, (laughs) as fans of Joel Goodell, would be outside of the Columbia metropolitan area. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Gamecock Radio. I'll warn you, it's about 98% Gamecock related. Try not to veer too much into the events of the day or... I uh, use Twitter as my test laboratory for bad jokes. Um, I try to keep it pretty narrowly focused on South Carolina athletics. Um, so, yeah, there's, there, that's where I am, at Gamecock Radio and, and Gamecock Radio Network. And look forward to uh, any of you picking me up on the Dow for a second, for 10 seconds, or a minute. I appreciate it all the same.
1: Andy Demetra here on Play by Playcast. Thanks to uh, AD, as always. I think we met originally, maybe 2008? or 2009, I think it was 2008, could have been 2009, Peterson Event Center, University of Pittsburgh, he was doing the National Game of the Week for IMG, ISP then, I was working for WAER, the Syracuse Student Radio Station, and we were sitting next to each other, we, we thought it was kind of cool, because we were sitting like up in the hinterlands, and to our left, with the same vantage point, was the national broadcast, so we were uh, we were pretty stoked about <laughs> what we thought we were that night but uh but it was a good time and uh good to meet ad and, and he's been uh he's been a good guy to to know over the last couple of years and glad uh we were able to get him on the podcast and talk all sorts of things i mean we covered some interesting ground today i learned a lot from the conversation hopefully you learned a lot as well if you did go ahead and shoot us a note on twitter hashtag pxpcast or tweet at me at Joel Godet, j-o-e-l-g-o-d-e-t-t you can also subscribe or rate give us some stars on the podcast that makes it easier for people to search us on itunes and um allow other people to find the podcast learn and uh, and grow as broadcasters like uh, we all hope to from this venture as well thanks for joining us here on episode two they are playing the go-home music so that's my cue as Stone Cold would say to ride off into the sunset. We'll talk to you next Friday morning here on Play by Playcast. Until then, see ya.
0: And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.